Hello and welcome to the second episode of this season's Ulster Rugby Roundup. We're midway through pre-season sandwich between games against Saracens, so all very exciting. Joining me, Gareth Hanna, to address those two matches as well as plenty of your listener questions are Jonathan Bradley, returning once again. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, how are you? Our uh, resident Ulster Rugby correspondent. What should, wait, is that your title, Jonathan? I don't think I've ever got it right, but we should introduce a proper a proper title for you this season. What would you like it to I'm be? Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure my title is just Belfast Telegraph Rugby Correspondent. Like I think that's what it says on the on the paychecks. See, okay, right, we'll go with that then. The Belfast Telegraph Rugby Correspondent, Jonathan Bradley, and it's a season debut for uh, Richard Mullen. Hello, Richard. Hello. Good to see you both again, and uh, glad to be back for the new season. I'm glad to have you, Richard. What what should we uh, what should we have your title as? Now's your chance to, to submit something. Um, uh, Harlequins, uh, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Southeast, uh, Southeast Ulster uh, correspondent would do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. You should start a wee supporters club like the South Wales guys. Yeah, I've got a big enough, I've got a big enough family for my own fan club. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. The, the Harlequins Ulster rugby supporters club. That's, uh, that's the one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Premiership champions that we win against Cardiff Blues at the weekend. Thought I'd get that in early. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Richard, unfortunately, you are here to talk about Ulster as much as you may want to talk about another team. But um, we <laughs> shall begin with what was a 45-21 defeat uh, at Kingspan Stadium last week. So... Where else to start but this question? Ryan C begins, Friday was awful. How worried should we be? As a podcast who is uh, frequently berated for being too negative, what better place to start than this? So we, we do have a couple of questions in this sort of vein. So Ryan goes on. I get that there were a lot of second 15 players, but they're either way behind in season preparation or dot 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 he leaves your uh, your mind to fill in the rest of, of that question Richard Townswell uh, was also asking along the how worried should we be lines he said my immediate concern was the lack of leadership and that there was no anger or correction at leaking early tries with players ambling back to behind the post he says I also felt we were very predictable in attack especially when facing 14 men so on this very cheery note how worried should we be <laughs> I like that. I think I might just start doing some like new journalism style match reports where it's like instead of actually talking about the general uh, play by play, just be like, well, this was awful. <laughs> and just leave it at that. He's a man after my own heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think negativity gets too, too harsh a rap amongst our listeners. There's nothing wrong with being negative and anything else oh. is a bonus. It's the way to be. Yeah. Well, we have I said this to my wife this morning like, set the bar low and then you exceed yes. expectations. Exactly. <laughs> We, we really need the Grim Reaper on this one, you know, <laughs> our own Michael Sadler. <laughs> I would love to have heard his views on this. But Michael would reject, <laughs> Michael would reject that nickname, I, I feel obliged to point out. Yes, he would, of course, <laughs> as he has done before. I think, I think we've got to put a bit of context and objective and be a bit objective about this at the same time. Um, yes, I have to admit, having watched the game here, both me and my son were a little bit worried, kind of going, right, <laughs> I'm glad that one's over. Um, it's a pre-season friendly. And it's Saracens. It's not as it's Saracens. And Saracens did. And Saracens came to Belfast with a pretty good, came with a pretty good strong side, very physical. Um, I think you have to look at the starting team and how many of those guys would actually be starting. And you would like to think that only a few, only a few. Um, but it's a pre-season friendly. It's an opportunity for guys to go out and for us to see 
these new guys and the, the environment that they want to play against. And playing against the likes of Saracens is a it's a pretty big ask to start off with. Let's see how things go this Thursday over in London, um, when I presume there will be, uh, well, not presume, there will be a lot of changes to the Ulster starting 15. And maybe on Friday and Saturday, we can reassess the situation. It might not be as awful as some people think. Fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Like obviously, there, there does seem to be a lot of uh, gnawing and gnashing of teeth here, Jonathan. Is it a bit... Um... A bit, a bit too much, as Richard says. It was a, a, a much changed Ulster lineup than what we'll probably see against Glasgow. Yeah, well, I think it'll actually be a much changed Ulster lineup to what we may see um, on Thursday. Like because you're going to have a good chunk of those international players back. Like it's not a team that uh, will play any games together in even the ERC. Like so, I wouldn't get too concerned about it. The thing with preseason friendlies is they always sort of ebb and flow in terms of the team that starts and then when the substitutions are made. So you saw Saracens had a much stronger team to start, so they were much better at the start. Ulster then made a lot of changes at halftime, bring on a few more experienced heads, and then they had their purple patch. And then just when it looked like they might uh, actually pull out a result, despite that uh, decidedly ropey 19 minutes that they had at the start of the first half, they made another raft of changes and... That was when all the sort of younger guys came on, guys that were maybe making a debut, playing in front of a crowd for the first time, that sort of thing. And then you saw Saracens three late tries. So like I would look at the game as basically three separate mismatches in terms of the personnel that were on the field. And in regard to that, the scores went as you would expect in terms of Saris running away with it, Ulster having a real purple patch to answer back and then Saracens pulling away at the end. Part of that question was, are Ulster behind in their preseason preparation? And they will be behind Saracens because Saracens play Bristol next Friday. So they play a full week earlier and they're playing Bristol as well, which is <laughs> something you have to be ready for. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Richard, given the, the nature of the game, the Ireland internationals that Ulster were missing, probably the, the most interesting point of it from a performance point of view was always going to be the, the young players on show. If we talk about a few of them, first of all, Nathan Doak, who I know Ian Madigan had, um, had shining words of praise for after the game. Um, just what did you make of his performances and um well, yeah, well, for his performance, first of all, we have a question we'll, we'll throw in a little while later about his uh, his potential for the next couple of seasons. I'll admit that prior, I had seen him as a youngster playing, I mean, at school and stuff, and um, didn't see a lot of him in the past year. And I had my doubts, had me, I, I did have my doubts about him. Um, but during the Six Nations period, I thought um, after a shaky, shaky first game, he, he really grew into himself. I thought he was a bit quiet on Friday night or... Um, Again, you don't know what directions he, what what instructions he's been given and whatnot. Um, first time playing in front of a big crowd like that at, at, in Ulster, there would be a bit of nerves there. I thought he was a little bit quiet on it, um, but I think he is one of the players that will grow and will develop. Ulster put a lot of investment into him, obviously, and you know he's he's probably one of those players you're, you're saying he's going to end up making two hundred appearances for Ulster. Uh, 40 plus caps for Ireland and probably going three Lions tours, you know, down the line. You might not see that now, but I think he, of, the, of all the young guys, maybe Callum Reid was the other one, of all the young guys that came out on, on Friday night, he's the one that you're going, yeah, you know what? He's going to be a stalwart down the line in the future. Mm -hmm. well, we'll talk about Callum Reid in a little while as well, because you're right that he was, was another one that caught the eye, but 
Jonathan, that position then with Dave Shanahan coming on in the second half, it really did just sort of highlight how uh, keenly contested those those minutes behind John Cooney are going to be. Yeah, it will be because I think coming into last season or the tail end of the season before that, given the way the season was structured with COVID, we all looked at Albie Matthewson maybe as something of a bridge to whenever Duke was ready. Maybe the financial situation maybe accelerated Matthewson's departure just a touch. Maybe um, in normal pre-COVID times, you would have had that experience at behind Cooney. Um, maybe you would have liked to keep him for another year, possibly just until Duke was absolutely banging the door down. But at the same time, I think if you've got somebody that's this highly rated and you've seen so much of them, because remember he was in preseason while he was still in school, it's exciting to think that they're going to back somebody, you know, back a 19-year-old and give him those minutes. And I suppose really if you look at Dan's history of young players and bringing young players through, he's shown that he's willing to do it if they earn that playing time in uh, in training. So I suppose... It's all it's all Nathan to take those minutes away from from Dave Shanahan. Like you talked about what Ian Madigan said about um about Doak, but he was equally effusive in his praise of um of Dave Shannon. He called him the team's unsung hero and said that when he was out for preseason um injured for a week, the team all sort of realized how much they missed him when he wasn't around. And you know, it sounds like he's probably become quite a big part of the uh, the squad off the pitch as well, just uh, just on that basis. Like so, it's an interesting battle because it's so open. Whereas Ulster have had a very established number nine for a very long time, whether it be Pina or Cooney. But if you think about Paul Marshall, and then I suppose the time in between when Dave Shannon played and actually played pretty well, um, but and then Matthews and there's been an established hierarchy in the scrum half department and I think that's going to be a little bit more up in the air this season certainly behind Cooney. Richard just on Dave Shanahan um, just on what Ian Madigan was saying about him as a bit of an unsung hero just looking at his uh, his pitch time over the last couple of seasons he's only started five games over the last two campaigns like he really is somebody who hasn't been appreciated by by fans and maybe even from within Ulster, Ulster in the past would that be fair to say? I think it is fair to say, and I think your regular listeners probably know that last season I was talking about him a bit of the time, and I'm, I'm actually a big fan of Dave's. I mean, I was one of his biggest critics for a while, but <laughs> Jonathan mentioned it there too. If you take the Paul Marshall situation with um, when Ruin Pinar was there, you know, Paul Paul had a chance to go elsewhere, but decided, no, I'm going to stick it out with Ulster. And Paul actually ended up playing more games one season than Ruin Pinar because he was an international duty and stuff like that. But and I suppose last season, Albie Matthewson came in, are we okay? It was uh, uh, yeah. my email making a sign and it wasn't muted. <laughs> and then I was just making dirty faces at him. Just, uh, <laughs> all, I could see was badness, like... all I could see was you two making faces. And I thought, what the heck's going on? <laughs> and then I noticed you were both on silent and I thought, am I been taken for the ride here? You know? <laughs> no, it was uh, it was my work email making a wee ping there. So it was... <laughs> yeah, I might even just leave it. Here, here, you get those boys in Sky. You get those boys in Sky TV there. There's... Interviewing them, and the next thing you hear a ping in the background. So it's, <laughs> it's okay for this. Don't worry about that. Not very professional. Anyway, you continue. <laughs> and I suppose last season, Albie Matthewson comes in, and Dave Shanahan's probably going, right. I'm still down the packing order quite a bit here, and I'm not going to get a lot of game time. And I actually think that um, Dave. Would Donna, actually... I'm going to remove you, Jonathan. I'm going to remove you. Got a mare here. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I've let us all down. You have. 
Yeah, absolutely have. Well, we said last week we didn't want to, to introduce any veil of professionalism and we are continuing that fantastically. Sorry, Richard. Sorry, Richard. <laughs> Apologies, our guest being treated like this. <laughs> um, so Dave Shanahan probably last year when Albie Matthewson came in, he's probably thinking, oh, right, I'm down the pecking order still when he would have maybe been expected to be in number two behind John Cooney and didn't maybe get the game time that he should have been afforded. And I actually think he may have actually serviced Ulster better in the latter stages of the European Challenge Cup. But that's maybe another story. It's going to be interesting. Nathan Doak, they will want to give Nathan Doak game time. There's no doubt about that. Um, they've invested in him. But you saw when Dave came on, just the difference he brought, and that's experience as well, which which obviously Nathan which which Nathan lacks. And the fact that Dave has stood by the club the way he has and hasn't maybe been tempted away elsewhere is something as well. I think one thing about Ian Madigan, if ever there was a player that played for the shirt, he's been a bit of a journeyman, if you like, over the years, Leinster... Bordeaux, Bristol, but he plays what he he plays for the shirt, and that's been one thing about him that I've noticed since he came north to Ulster. Um, and the fact that he's saying that he's just not giving that as a oh, I make my mate Dave feel good. That's genuine coming from him, and he can see that. And I think he's right. Dave Shannon is a bit of an Ulster unsung hero. Just while we are uh, talking about that, Ian Madigan, those quotes, if anybody's wondering where they're coming from, it was in uh, Jonathan's uh, very good piece with Ian the other day. You can still read that on the Belfast Telegraph uh, website. So while we're on the halfback positions, the Big Bird asks, given the Ireland door now seems well and truly shut, do you feel this will likely be Cunaldo? See what I did there, he says. Last season in the white of Ulster. Couldn't blame him for taking a payday in France. And if that does come to pass, uh, do you see Duke being the main man next season? So, of course, this is John Cooney's last season in his contract. And I wish we talked about it uh, briefly over the course of, of the last campaign, Jonathan. But this is going to be a very interesting point and probably something that I hazard a guess Dan McFarland may be asked about more than once as the season progresses if there's, there's no news forthcoming. Yeah, because I think it's going to be a probably on the back burner type of story all season long. Like until this is resolved, I think this is going to be the most talked about off the pitch story. Like this is what I'm anticipating us doing an awful lot of work around because it is such a, I suppose, a motive issue because John Cooney is so beloved by Ulster. And it's finding that balance because he probably hasn't felt that love from Ireland. So it's, I suppose, how much he would be tempted by experiencing something different at the latter third of his career, shall we say, as opposed to how much he loves playing for Ulster. Because we are now just talking about Ulster. He said over the summer in that interview that he gave as part of the Tackle Your Feelings campaign that the Ireland thing isn't particularly on his radar. So I think as much as it's not acknowledged at the time by an awful lot of players, I suppose Jordy Murphy was one real exception whenever he came up. The motivation for a lot of these players that do come here is to stay within Ireland so that they're still eligible to play for Ireland. First and foremost, like they may come up here and decide that they love it and find a home away from home, whatever, whatever, whatever. But in the very first instance, it's to remain eligible to play for Ireland. So if... John is shutting the door on the international career. It's really weighing up 
so many different factors because you've got how much you're going to be paid. It's a short career. Like there's no two ways about that. I don't think anyone would, or sorry, nobody should begrudge a player seeking a big payday at the end of a career. And just that idea of experiencing something else. We know he had the option to go to Scotland before he came to Ulster. But like, I think if you're looking at a player who plays in the way that John Cooney does and in the style that John Cooney does, it would obviously be very attractive to a top 14 side because of the way that they play off nine. And John Cooney really can control a team and you can build a game plan around the way that Cooney plays in the French league more so than you traditionally would anyway in... um, in other Northern Hemisphere countries. So it wouldn't surprise me at all if Cooney had plenty of offers to go next season. It wouldn't surprise me if he entertained those offers, but equally just because that connection with the Ulster fans means so much to him. And he's really, you know, he considers this home now. This is where he sort of landed himself, if you like. It wouldn't surprise me if that means more to him than maybe even people realise. Yeah, yeah, like it's a whole life decision rather than just a, a rugby decision. It's whether uh, he wants to up sticks and go to go to France or wherever. We're staying in Ulster. Richard, how uh, concerned are you that uh, this might be, be John Cooney's last season? Do you think that's likely? And if so, um, how concerning would that be for, for Ulster to lose him? If Ulster were without John Cooney and there wasn't anybody else probably being signed in in that position of, of, of quality... Nathan Doak's 19 years old. He's he's he, he's very raw, um, and John Cooney is exceptionally experienced. And you kind of thought that they may have thrown out a wee line to him. Ireland may have thrown out a wee line to him in the summer. There was an opportunity to say, look, you know what? We don't need to bring all these guys that we've seen regularly out. Let's give that guy a chance. And the fact that it didn't happen, you, you suspect the door has been firmly closed on him. I think Jonathan's point there about the fact of how how well he is respected in Ulster may be a big factor in his decision, but if he was to go to France, you wouldn't blame him. Um, and it wouldn't come as a massive surprise, but John may think that uh, he could get another three or four years with Ulster and, and, and do well. Yeah. As we say, this is a topic that we imagine will be much discussed over the course of the season. And I'm sure on plenty of podcasts, unless we get some news on it in the near future uh, anybody reading too deeply into what i'm saying that is not a hint that i know something because i absolutely don't um but you just i mean the last time john's contract was up for renewal it was done very early and it was done at great length because it was a three-year contract mm-hmm. um because obviously there was just such a mutual desire to get the way that he was playing there was and the way that he was taken in by ulster there was just such a mutual desire to get it done but Obviously, so much has changed in terms of the contractual landscape. John Cooney, in terms of his Ireland ambitions, just so much, so much is different than what it was, um, what it was back then. But it'll be interesting, I suppose, when John Cooney first does media of the season, if he does media early in the season, whether he's drawn on it or not. Because one of the things about John is if you ask him a straight question more often than not he'll give you a straight answer like he wouldn't be one that would say oh it's not something I think I'm thinking about when deep down it's obvious to everyone that it would be something you would be thinking about sort of thing you know like he's one of the reasons why he's been as popular with media as he is with fans is because he's so willing to talk like just not I'm not not saying that he doesn't have a filter but like he would press conferences with John would 
have a conversational tone rather than the feel of like you ask a question you get some sort of platitude that um would be vague sort of thing like he'll address the question that's put to him so it will be obviously whenever he first does media something that he is going to be asked about he'd probably tell you what book he's reading on the subject as well yeah well if he says that he's reading um something by albert camus or something we're going to assume that um, he's maybe looking into the French option but um... <laughs> yeah. I suppose I suppose something that may have a bearing on it too is the fact where Ireland see Duke progression and in mm. the international setup because just say John Cooney decides I want to stay another three years or two years with Ulster how does that impact on Duke's progression through the Irish ranks then and do the IRFU have to step in and tell Ulster well look Need to be playing him ahead of him, as we've known has happened before. It's one of those sort of interesting parts of the dynamic of this, because if John Cooney is obviously, without stating the obvious, regardless of whether he's playing for Ireland, he is Irish qualified. So it's not like a Ruby Pinar situation where yes. you'd like to think that, you know, they can not offer him a contract or something ridiculous like that. But if he's Irish qualified, but not playing for Ireland and then you've got the Duke coming behind him sort of thing. But like, I can't see a situation as much as I think John Cooney would start for, uh, <laughs> well, he would start for quite a few provinces. Let's put it that way. Um, regardless of what his standing is in the national side, I don't think we'll see a repeat of the PNR situation. Like, I think if he wants to stay, he should naturally be facilitated. It would be an outrage if he wasn't, but um, yeah. Well, look, time will tell on that one. We will be discussing it plenty over the course of the season, I'm sure. But another player that we have mentioned briefly and wanted to talk about a little bit more, uh, Richard, I think it was you that first mentioned him earlier, Callum Reid. Um, another impressive performance for him and and maybe another player who we can look at, uh, at at really making the step up this season. Yeah, definitely. And I think, I mean, props, good props are... Um hard to find um, and uh, Callum certainly ticks all the boxes there um, I would expect to see him probably featuring a bit more maybe than Duck in the early parts of the season um, again it, it'll depend on injuries and and how he he's progressing himself but I think he's he, he's one that's ready to make that step I wouldn't be surprised if you see him in the first four weeks of the season certainly on the bench if maybe not starting one of the games I'm very excited about him Having played in the front row myself, not a prop I hasten to add, and, and, and before long before the professional era. I think the other one alongside him is Bradley Roberts, who just he excites me every time I see him coming onto the pitch. And um, I think he excites an awful lot of Ulster fans as well. And he 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 delivers every time. And I think I think you'll see Callum Reid and Bradley Roberts um, making making further progress this year. I'd be disappointed if they didn't. And I think as Jonathan alluded to, Dan McFarlane is prepared to give young guys who put their hands up and show their work ethos both on and off the pitch. And uh, I think Callum Reid definitely and Brad Roberts is another. That mm. Those are two guys that we can look forward to seeing a bit more of this season. I think Roberts got a mention uh, in our in reply to our tweet looking listener questions. It might have been Donal, I can't remember now. But it was Donal. It was Donal. He really is somebody who is so intriguing to watch, not least because of his route to the Ulster senior team and, yeah. and what a boost he is for the, the club game. Absolutely. South African, um, playing with really old boys. And all of a sudden, he, and I remember when he first came on, I kind of went, who is this guy? And um, I uh, made a bit of inroads, because obviously I was living over here at that time and, and, and didn't know a lot about him, but made a few inquiries. And he only gets a wee bit of a game. He's only had a wee bit of game time, but 
every time he has come on, he has taken the opportunity with both hands, and it's it's uh, it's he's an he's an he's an inspiration to uh, young players. I have to say, mm-hmm. Jonathan, the the one new player that we had to look at uh, on when was the game Friday, uh, Mick Carney, not a, a headline grabbing signing really, but what did you make him? Pretty impressive, to be honest. Now, um, obviously, usual caveats about it being a friendly and whatever else, but um thought he played well. And it's another one of those ideas that if I was ever to come back as a, a back row or a lock, I would definitely stick on a, a brightly coloured scrum cap because you just saw that flash of blue and you knew instantly that it was him. Like if you're t- the type of player that does the type of work that he does, it's a good way to, uh, it's a good way to stand out because you could see him thumping into rocks and um, making his tackles. Like pretty much as Dan McFarlane said, like he's just, he just looks to be a good solid player like sort of said last week and like not in a disparaging way at all but it's like as close to re-signing Ian Nagel as they probably could have done without signing Ian Nagel like um, it strikes me as a deal very similar to that and I think broadly speaking everyone would say that was a success like we know the lay of the land the reality is that there's not been a great deal of second rows coming through the academy the one that has come through and we all got excited about in Cormac as a is now injured. The ACL injury is a long-term thing as unfortunately Ulster players know all too well. And then you're in a situation where Henderson's going to be missing for large chunks of the season. So to have his experience, to have his, I suppose, and again, like this, you know, this isn't, talking down or being condescending or anything but just that honest graft in the second row like there's always going to be a call for those type of players in a long league season and I think it was mentioned that obviously having come into pre-season late he's going to take a while to get up to speed to the tempo that Ulster want to play at but you know on Friday night you wouldn't have uh, pointed out to him as being a guy that was four weeks five weeks behind everybody else in pre-season that's for sure no, absolutely, absolutely. A few more questions on the the pack while we are at it. Dono, the weekly Dono, the return of the weekly Dono. Welcome back for the 21-22 season. It, he says that he has noticed Dan mentioning the word bigger several times when talking about pre-season. He asked, do you think that he means literally in terms of bulk or was that metaphorically says the gain line has often been a hard thing for Ulster to dominate without Marcel and size must be a part of that although he does say it in the second half on Friday Ulster dominated the contact and gain line for large periods um, and found those periods fairly uh, fairly promising so have we noticed this uh, this use of the word bigger from Dan and what do we think it means I certainly haven't I don't think John, I'm not sure Jonathan has Maybe, he, may, he may have more uh, contact with him than I have I think um at the minute, it's very difficult to judge physical changes in the players because we're not seeing them up close. And the only reason that I say this is anecdotally, like James Hume passed me in the street a few weeks ago and I did a double take because he was so much bigger than he had been the last time that I saw him because the last time I would have been <laughs> seeing him that close was prior to the pandemic. So while normally you see these players either about or in press conferences now you're the view from the back row of the uh of the Kingspan Stadium stand is a bit different so I would say an awful lot of those younger players as would be natural 
and I say younger players when I, you know, I mean guys that are like 23 <laughs> and under, there's going to be a natural bulking up of those guys um, just in line with what you normally see with guys coming out of the academy. But the idea about an organization-wide trend, the difficulty with that is that it's very individual. Like, for instance, Jacob Stockdale was advised that he should bulk up in the past and then personally didn't feel comfortable playing at that size. So it's very difficult to get that balance right of, I suppose, sports science and what players themselves, what weight and size players themselves feel comfortable playing at because it's very difficult to, I suppose, make that change unless you feel the benefit yourself, like you can be told of the benefit, but unless you're a player, when everything's so instinctual, that can be quite difficult. Now, I think we mentioned this last week as well. Now, obviously there is a change at the head of the S&C department with David Drake having gone to Worcester and we've got Michael Kiley coming in. Now, I think we, I don't know whether people will have seen this or not, but the, you know, the post on social media a few weeks back about, um, couple of Limerick hurlers, one from the modern day and one from the 70s or 80s standing beside each other to show the difference in physique of uh, those guys now. And, you know, anyone that's paid any attention to the hurling this summer will know what, uh, or even just the discourse around the hurling this summer will know what a physical side Limerick are and just what, uh, how much credit, I suppose, is given to that side as much as they're obviously all gifted at the game, just their physicality and their, I suppose, the transformation of what we think of as, you know, what a hurling side should look look like. And it's going to be interesting to see if we can look at that sort of change to the Ulster squad. Now, it might take over the course of an entire season, but just whether we see anything similar in, I suppose, just thinking about the way that Ulster have looked at this in the past and the way that they will look at it now with somebody who's coming in from a completely different sporting background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bulked, I've bulked up myself over the past 18 months, Jonathan, as you probably noticed when I had that wee visit to the media day at the Kingspan Stadium, you didn't give me the second look that you gave James Hume, but uh, I'm, com- <laughs> I'm comfortable enough with that. But I think if you look at the, phys- if you're talking about physicality and you, and you look at the game on Friday night and the, the team that Saracen started with that first quarter, they really dominated up front. Um, and I suppose that was maybe what Dan's looking at. Ulster's pack has been, for want of a better word, a little bit lighter uh, in the past. And again, that's probably where the bigger is coming from, where they need to. And as you say, Jonathan, players will will find their own comfort within that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think putting on weight the way James Hume does and the way you do are two different things, Richard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not comfortable with it. Let me put it like that. <laughs> Well, he, he was walking down the street with a very healthy-looking uh, bag of peppers when I saw him. So, oh, fair enough. That's what that's what I've gone wrong. It's the, <laughs> it's the KFC bag. It's the peppers bag. I need. Okay. Well, I to be fair, when I saw him, I was sitting outside the pub, so his uh, <laughs> his method was certainly more uh, <laughs> beneficial long term than mine was. Other fast food outlets are available, and please drink responsibly. Um, so. Uh, where are we here? You're, uh, you're sidetracking me, boys. Yes, we have one more question that mentions that uh, departure from Marcel Katsia. We may stop getting questions referencing Marcel Katsia at some stage over the course of this season. Who knows? Andrew Donahue asks, how much of a concern? Richard, yes, this one's for you because we talked about this at the uh, reasonable length with Michael last week. 
But interesting to hear your thoughts. How much of a concern is the back row so light there compared to other provinces? They also asked, is there any word of potential reinforcements coming in, even an Interpol alone for a time? I think we said last week that that looks uh, highly, highly unlikely at this stage. But Richard, what are your thoughts on that, on the back row? Obviously, as you say, Marcel, I mean, if if you watch Marcel playing for the Bulls against Benetton, you were kind of going, well, that wasn't that big a loss, you know, um, in the Rainbow Cup final. But um, no, he is he, he is a big loss for, for us. So there's no, there's, that's been documented more than enough. Um, and, and yeah, they, they are lacking someone in there. What I would say, if you take Greg Jones, who started on, on Friday night, Greg, to me, I, I've always liked Greg as a player and I just feel he doesn't get... The run of the mill. He needs a run of games to get. Anytime he he gets an opportunity, he maybe doesn't take it as you would expect him to, or he just gets unlucky that particular night. But we are a little bit light in the back row department. There's no doubt about that. And but we've got to get away from the fact that we don't have Marcel. So Dan will have found a way of negating that. But it's a big it's a big gap to fill. Um, you can maybe talk about putting Ian Henderson into the back row if you had uh, enough second rows to cover, perhaps. Um, or there's the like of is there like a David McCann coming through? Can he maybe break through a bit more? I wouldn't be over concerned. I mean, they'll find another way of playing. Uh, Dan McFarlane will find another way of negating the absence of that big omission in the back row. But um, until we see things starting on September the twenty fourth, I suppose it's uh, we don't know at the minute. Then we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> I think like I do think the starting back row is perfectly capable of playing at the level that we think that Ulster are going to be at next season. Yeah. And if David McCann, he had a couple of good carries after he just came on on Friday. If David McCann could become the fourth back rower, then I think people would feel a lot more buoyed by that to have somebody coming through the academy. It's very difficult because it's sort of like, you know, if you're driving a banger and you look over the fence and you see a sports car, it's like you look at Leinster and you're like, you know, Max Deegan's coming back there. They've got Keelan Doris coming through. And that's on top of all the other brilliant players that they already have. Dan Levy's coming back. But like, that's more of an anomaly than Ulster's back row depth is, if you know what I mean. Like, the amount of great players that Leinster have is stranger than uh, the, the amount of decent players that, that Ulster have. I do take offence on Nick Timoney's behalf of the comparison to Ulster's back row to a banger, though. <laughs> No, like, this is what I'm saying. Like, Ulster's back row is good. Like, Sean Reedy has been one of their better players over the last three years. Certainly the, one of their most consistent players over the last three or four years. Yeah. Um, probably even longer than that. Um, yeah. He's played for Ireland. Jordy Murphy's played, what, 30 times for Ireland? Yeah. Nick Timoney has literally just come off the best season of his career where he was capped by Ireland. Like, there'd be an awful lot of ERC teams would swap their starting back row for Ulsters without thinking about it. The issue is that you don't have the same depth as the teams that are the very, very best. But like, I, as I said last week, I don't think you have the same depth in lots of positions as the teams that are the very, very best. And by that, we really mean Lanster. Yeah. Well, on that note, Jack Fogarty asked, should we perhaps lower our expectations this year as fans and take the time to invest in a few younger fellows uh, from the academy? And unlike some of our other listeners this week, he does uh, include a PS that says, I actually think we could do quite well and I don't want to seem too negative. Uh, don't worry about that here, Jack. You're you're in good company. But with, like we've mentioned, the likes of Callum Reid, Nathan Doak, David McCann coming through. And then when you think of the amount of players that also have blooded in the last season or two who are still relatively inexperienced at this level, 
what do you think about expectations for this season, Richard? And um, should those be adjusted given the age of, of Ulster's panel? I think I, I stopped having expectations when I was working in the, the paper business um, probably around about 2004 uh, each year because you were putting the Ulster up on a pedestal sometimes and they were there to get knocked down. Um, I think at the end of last year, I was kind of saying Ulster had to win the the new look Pro 16, and okay, we've got a we've got a new competition now. It's going to be very challenging. There's no doubt about it. It's going to be a very challenging year for Ulster, and I think it's going to be Dan McFarlane's most challenging season since mm-hmm. he has come in. There's no doubt about that. Of the young blood that we have there, we've talked about two of them, Nathan Doak, or three of them, if you like, Nathan Doak, Callum Reid, and Brad Roberts, as as I think they will become regulars, and David McCann as well. Yeah, I think. We need to be realistic in our expectations this season that Ulster might struggle to make top four. Um, they may even struggle to make top six. It's hard to gauge, based on last year's so uncompetitive or uncompetitive Pro, Pro 12, Pro 14, um, what to expect this time around. But I think it will be it will be a stronger competition. What will the Welsh teams bring to it? What will the Scottish teams bring to it that they didn't bring to it last year? And of course, you have the South Africans. And a lot of people kind of saw the Bulls against Benetton and thought, well, if that's the best side in South Africa, with nothing to worry about, uh, I I have to disagree. I think we do have a lot of concern from the South African sides. They're quality quality teams, um, and we have to be realistic and say, yep, you know what? If also get a top six. I would be happy with that. Yeah, well, that's something that we will discuss at uh, a great length on next week's podcast, which will be a, a full season preview. Um, Richard, nice to get your thoughts on that. It will be interesting to see what uh, what the other guys think on that one. Next week, uh, we have a couple more questions to deal with before we leave you. Until then, though, Alan Kavanagh wants to know how many minutes can Angus Curtis last with a little fingers crossed emoji. Obviously, uh, he's had his fair share of problems. What are you expecting from him this season, Jonathan, or or hoping more than more than expectation? I suppose. I mean, last year he played what seventeen minutes of of rugby, and that was right at the end of the season. Yeah, but I mean, it's not that so much that he's injury prone as much as he just had one horrible injury mm-hmm. um, I think an awful lot of his sorry not an awful lot he had had a few concussions prior to that but in terms of that it kept him out for a while so those that accounted for a few of his periods on the sidelines but in terms of um, last year like it was just that terrible knee injury so all you want from him is a run like just an ability to put a few games together because there is is obviously, I think we've all seen it. There's a good player in there, and it's just about being able to put that injury behind him and um, really probably kick on in his career in the way that we are in the way that he will have hoped that he would have been able to in December 2019 when he got that injury. Jonathan, you were there on Friday night before we we forget to mention it when the Ulster fans returned in a much greater number than they had done since the pandemic began up to 10,000. Fans in Kingspan Stadium, what it was it like to, to have them back? Did you join in any of the chants yourself? No, because <laughs> that would be a very strange thing to do in a press box. I just um, the, the occasion might have just overtaken you, the, the joy of having all the fans back there, you know? I don't know why, whether it was whether it was because of the first game of the season or what it was, but I didn't really think too much about it until I walked out my front door and there was a load of people on the street. Um, that was when it sort of clicked with me again that um, there was going to be a load of fans there um, but I think whenever the players did their lap 
after the warm up and get cheered off the field and then the stand up for the Ulstermen as they came out onto the field it was a real sort of like it really made it hit home with you just how soulless and how quiet everything had been before just how terrible those games behind closed doors were just in terms of an experience because it was just lacking in so much of what makes going to see sport what it is like the novelty of that wore off very quickly, but I thought it was also strange how accustomed you became to the actual match day experience of being one of the few ones in there, which you shouldn't do because, you know, you should have still remembered, I suppose, how fortunate you were in that time to still be able to go out to a match and stuff like that. But just that sort of like five or 10 minutes before kickoff really did as much as it was the occasion of a preseason friendly. And there was, I don't know, maybe 7,000 people or something like that. It was, It still was something that really made you think about you know yes finally we're out of that um what was a real terrible period period for so many reasons but in one of one minor reason was just how bad it made the experience of live sport absolutely even being at, at Carrick Rangers at the weekend the, the Coleraine fans are back in and it was as you say it was just sort of you remembered thinking this is what sport should be like um and it really just adds adds so much to it so great to see the fans back and, and fingers crossed uh, that will last throughout the season be or stout asks did any Ulster representative teams win at the weekend no, like if you left your house in a white t-shirt at the weekend, you were in for a bad afternoon. Uh, everybody could beat all of them. And the women in particular are continuing their interprovincial campaign. Um, they had said at the start that there there may be increased hopes of a win this time round, but um, as time ticks on, it may be a bridge too far for this year. Okay, it's, it's tough for them. I think we talked about this last week, about all the reasons behind... Um, or some of the reasons why we have that disparity between the teams at the minute, just in terms of the club game filtering uh, filtering up. And, you know, you can look at the all the league table and see where the stronger club sides are at the minute. And the growth of the club sides here, I suppose, in terms of being all the league sides with Cook and Malone. Um, it's been great to see those clubs, like, expand to the level that they have done. But I suppose there's still a way to go, as there is for almost all club teams up here to match... Uh, the sort of behemoths that you have in Leinster, that's reflected in the Interpros when what you're seeing is an awful lot of club players making a step up to play in their first interprovincial series. And Jonathan, you will be on reporting duty again from the, the women's game this weekend. Who are they playing and, and when's that one? Yeah, they played Connacht um, in their last game at uh, five o'clock on Saturday. It's at the... At the sports ground, um, wonder uh, <laughs> Galway will be a ghost town uh, with the All Ireland final at the same time. But uh, one for the double screen now. Yeah, so it's obviously the sort of precursor to the Leinster v Munster game that's going to going to decide the championship. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we can uh, we'll see how they get on this weekend. Just thinking, we didn't actually specify, but the Ulster or Saracens Ulster game is on Thursday at the. Uh, I believe a 5pm kickoff, but somebody who knows an awful lot more about it than I do is Richard Mulligan, our England correspondent, who is, uh, is hoping to be in attendance at that one, Richard. Yeah, I'm still I'm still awaiting confirmation of the accreditation, but uh, I'm, I'm hopefully getting I think they're not playing at their normal ground. They're playing at, uh, I think it's called HAC in the centre of London. I think 
<laughs> Jonathan came out to I made Dan laugh and I said it's a bit of an occasion over here um, uh, come Thursday night because it's uh, Saracens are back in the Premiership and they're back in the city and all the rest of it so um, it's a very big corporate type do which I wasn't prepared to pay 150 quid to go and watch uh, my beloved Ulster play <laughs> um, I have to add but um, I'm just waiting confirmation apparently there's very little space and they're not too sure where the media can go so I could have a laptop on my knee somewhere but sure who cares um but hopefully i will be at it and um there's no danger of me becoming a saracens fan as well uh, i should add because the boys out there, the boy, our regular listeners may jump on that one um but i do hope to be at ulster's first home game of the season on september the 24th um that's after we tackled castle rock golf club the day before gareth absolutely um, absolutely take bigger's money off him again all being well and hopefully Maybe even get Jonathan out to a golf outing sometime soon. I believe he's, uh, his practice has come on really, really well since uh, we last spoke. I was actually um, telling Gareth the other day that I'm going to give him clubs away. So <laughs> Oh, dear. Oh, you go, you'll go through moments like that. Gareth went through moments like that one day. I think it was at Malone or somewhere where I had to persuade him to stay on the course and finish the game out with me. And then he, <laughs> he played a blinder. He played a blinder. The difference is Gareth gets frustrated over 18 holes while shooting the same type of score that I shoot over nine. That's the issue. <laughs> Well, look, look, we all have our we all have our different levels. I'm like Leinster and you're like Ulster. Uh, Jonathan, you shouldn't be uh, envious of my sports car to your own banger. Oh, I like it, Gareth. Oh. <laughs> but we digress, boys. This is a rugby were, podcast rather than a golf one. And that you were talking about phys- you were talking about physicality earlier. The reason why Gareth's shoulders are as big as they are is because he's carried me around the golf course so many times <laughs> when we've been partners. <laughs> no more. You are now the senior partner and in, in, in then <laughs> But that is pretty much all we have time for this week. So thank you very much for joining us. Oh, we should say that Ian Frizzell asked a, a few good questions relating to hopes for this season. What would make it a success? And we're going to use those for next week, which will be our full season preview episode. Um, we'll not be taking a week off or anything. Um, we will be back with our full season preview next week. And then a more particular look at the Glasgow game the week after. So please do join us again next week. But thank you uh, for joining us. And thank you for joining us, Richard. Good to have you back on for the new season. And it'll not be long before we see you again. Yes, no, it was great. Thanks for asking me. Uh, always a pleasure to join you. And uh, and. And, sh- and chew a bit of the fat, as they say. Jonathan, thank you very much. We'll let you uh, go back to your golf lessons. I've got work to do. I'll have you know. <laughs> um, I've been Gareth Hanna. Thank you very much for listening.